Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Before we start, I would like to draw your attention to my weekly email newsletter, Friday Focus. Each Friday, I focus on one topic with one action arising. The link to sign up is in the show notes or head over to amyrolinson.com and sign up right now. Today on Focus on Why, I am joined by Sam Knowles. Sam, hello and welcome. Hello, Amy. Good to see you. Well, it is great to see you too. And you've just been away for a week. How exciting. I have been away for a week and I've been away in, well, I wouldn't call it monastic isolation, that would be, that would be unfair. Um, uh, my wife and I took a cottage in Uplime, just above Lyme Regis in Dorset, um, and uh, she walked and read and swam and meditated, and I wrote um, uh, between usually about 6 or 7am and, and about 5pm. Um, uh, I'm writing a, uh, a book. I'm writing a third book in a trilogy on using Data Smarter, and it was a very productive week. Data Smarter, that sounds really interesting. And I have read one of your books, Narrative by Numbers, which is fascinating. And even though I'm not a detail, well, I am a detail person, but <laughs> it, it was interesting because it was a great mix of both the detail and also the, the narrative. It was a, a, a friendly way of approaching data, I would say. You're very kind to say so. I mean, I, I, I was... Um, I was badly taught mathematics at school. Um, uh, I always like to say that there were more animal noises than algebra in the fifth out of six sets for my for my O-level mathematics. Um, and uh, I therefore knee-jerked at school and university um, into what I could do, uh, which was, well, it was, it was classics. It was Latin and Greek and ancient history. Um, and there was where I fell in love with story and storytelling and story structure. Um, and then sort of fell in to a career in public relations for about 25 years, um, but only came back to data uh, mu uh, much later uh, when I went back to school and studied psychology. So um, I start from the position of having been a maths phobic um, and then having realised that actually statistics was, was quite an interesting and, and useful tool and then blended those two things together. And I love the way you described that you keep falling into things. You said you fell in love with storytelling and then you fell in, in, into a career with PR. What's this about falling into things? Well, that's a very, yeah, yeah, very, very nice uh, observation. Um, uh, I remember in, it was in 19, when was it, 1993, 92, 93. Um, I, I was working in public relations and um, there was a very prestigious um, recruitment consultant who I was sent to go and see. And, I, and I'd worked in a couple of agencies. And then I took a job in, um, uh, it was a rather pompously titled job for a 25-year-old, um, uh, as Director of Public Affairs for a drinks industry, the conscience of the drinks industry, a group called the Portman Group. They existed to, they still exist, I think. Uh, they have a rather different role these days. Um, they existed to promote sensible drinking and, and well, what they really existed to do, to do 
was to prevent governments regulating against the drinks industry. But they were a long, they were a social aspect organization. Anyway, um, this lovely, now retired, sadly dead actually, um, uh, recruitment consultant, um, Barry Eagleston, looked at my CV and said, he said, you can't do this at this stage in your career. You're just you're bouncing from pillar to post. And I said, well, you know, um, it, it depends on how you look at story. You know, stories tend to be told after things have happened. And they can be told in a very present way. And they can be told in the present tense, indeed, you know, throughout. And if you think of your favourite authors or box sets or whatever it might be that you're, you, you get pleasure from, you know, we use... We use literature and entertainment to help us navigate the world. Um, if you start from, if you start at the point um, for, with sort of with kind of narrator's um, uh, foresight or, or hindsight, you know, you you know, everything can make sense. I can make perfect sense to you out of a career that was uh, that was twelve years working in communications agencies. Um, uh, uh, then going back to school, studying psychology, joining those two together and creating a consultancy. It makes sense from here. But actually, that journey uh, and that being alive to seizing the opportunities that present themselves, um, which they might be they might be blind alleys or they might be brilliant. Um, uh, I suppose because I have always been some form of storyteller or another, um, I often see the choices we make, the sliding doors moments, as being kind of chance hazard. You know, you could go one way or the other, or there are multiple ways you could go. Um, and it's only in retrospect when you're when people say, you know, what do you do and why? You know, what what gets you out of bed? What's your passion? What do you do? Uh, you can then say, well, you know, I did a bit of this and then I did a bit of that and I blended them together. But I think there's an awful lot of a lot of chance and sliding doors moments. And, you know, I might not have got into Sussex to do a master's in psychology and I might have ended up carrying on promoting Barbie, which I was doing before I did that. So who knows? Who knows? Um, but I do think that there's a, that there's a glorious um, set of accidents in a good way, waiting to happen that you can either seize upon or, or ignore. And, and I do, I, I you know, I my, my dad was kind of influential in my life. He was 59 when I was born. I was the seventh of his seven children from five wives. Um, uh, I, I, I didn't have a schema um, of a man working, although he was very industrious until he died when I was 21, but he was very industrious. But he was industrious as a as a glass engraver and a calligrapher. Uh, and I never tried to emulate that at all. So I didn't have a schema of what it meant to be a man who worked or a person who worked, but, um, uh, but, but, but you know, that particular father-son thing. So I kind of bounced around for a long, 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 long time. And it was only on actually becoming self-determining about eight years ago that I really found a sense of purpose and a sense of why, and that's why I'm so excited to talk to you. Um, uh, because I, I didn't have it until then. I didn't really enjoy work until then. Brilliant. What I love, Sam, listening to you, uh, we're talking about falling into the career and falling in love with storytelling, is then you then use these fabulous phrases about bouncing pillar to post and whether that was somebody else's phrase or, or not, but it, using it and, and to articulate how you have, with hindsight, been able to see a thread, which is great. And, and we, 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 I'm sure at the point of time where we are in our lives, it's easy to do that. But 
when we're living it in, in that present moment, you don't see that thread. It's not a tangible something that you can hold on to and guide yourself through. So what changed eight years ago for you now to have this clearer thread that's visible to you now? That's a really good question. So I was doing an impossible job. Um, I was working in a very smart um, communications agency, American communications agency. Um, and I was asked, and I was, and I, I, I was at that time what, what agencies call a strategic planner. So I was somebody who could look at data, make sense of data, do the where's Wally, or because it was an American agency, the where's Waldo bit, um, uh, surface and articulate genuine insights, and then use those to help all sorts of organizations, particularly working in the pharma space, uh, but all sorts of organizations um, to make sense of their patients, their customers, those that they're seeking to influence. That, that was what I did. And I thought I'd come home. I thought I'd found an agency that, that took the skills that I had developed and liked doing, uh, liked using. I thought I'd found somewhere that was brilliant. Um, I was then asked to, uh, I was then asked by my boss who was based in California. I, 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 I've, I've worked for many, many years for American companies with American clients. And East Coast or Central Time, no problem, five or six hours difference. But California time, seven or eight hours difference, particularly because my boss was one of those guys who would drop his kids on the way on the one and a half hour drive and get into the office about 11. I was ready to go to bed or stop working. But anyway, that, that's a minor thing. The impossible job was what he said was he said, um, we have received a, a request for a proposal for one of the biggest from one of the biggest consumer goods companies in the world. Um, to make a new social listening platform for them. And I said, yeah, great, that sounds interesting. Not really my, you know, I, I'm not a software engineer, I'm not a project. He said, nah, no, but we've decided that you're the person who's going to, um, to lead this proposal. And I thought, great. So I'm doing a job I love and you're now turning me into something that I'm not. I said, let, let, uh, tell me what I, what I need to do. He said, well, we've received all of the documentation and I opened the documentation and there was a, an RFP, Request for Proposals, that was 3,000 lines deep. And it had questions like, what is your policy on personally identifiable information? Brackets, minimum 2,000 characters, not maximum. So, And that wasn't all questions. Anyway, it was my job over six weeks to complete this, go around the firm. He said, it'll be the perfect opportunity for you to learn everybody, learn know everyone in the business. And I did. Um, and I then led a pitch team. I, I won't name the company, um, uh, but I led, then led a pitch team. And I had, for the one occasion in my life, I was the diversity in the room. Now, for a, you know, for a, middle-aged white bloke that's unusual right and not least because there were six men in the room who were presenting they were all white they were all um uh, uh we all had monosyllabic names there were seth and paul and chuck and bob and tim and sam but i was the only brit in the room i was the diversity in the room and you know because I don't know, my grandmother went to RADA with Charles Lawton and because I've done a bit of acting and there's a bit of a plum lodge stuck in my throat somehow. Um, they And because I'm a bit theatrical, they they kind of fell in love. Um, another fall there. Um, but I was this figurehead and we were, it was, a, it was the $6 million piece of business, literally. I've never pitched a piece of business bigger in my life. Um, uh, and there were a hundred companies tendering, 25 pitching, and we won it. 
Um, and then, I, I, in a thunderstorm in a, in a Midwest American city, um, my boss had a conversation with his boss who said, um, I want you to know this is our number one priority and I want you personally to take care of it. And he said, yes, of course. And then the, the other guy sort of waddled out to the loo and, the, uh, and my boss turned to me and said, when I said me, I meant you, uh, and you're going to build this. And I, <laughs> so I then spent about five or six months falling apart, trying to do something that I couldn't do with a team based in Boston, Malaysia, Latvia, um, and Bangalore. Um, and uh, I wrecked a holiday. I was, you know, I was in a lovely Greek villa on the island of Paxos. Um, with one bar of Wi-Fi, trying to control this virtual team, building something that wasn't working. Um, and my very wise wife said to me after about four months of this, she said, this can't carry on. Um, uh, I don't want you to run away from uh, what you're doing now into nothingness. She said, if you want us to sell the house, live in a caravan and grow mushrooms in, in, in a field, that's fine. But what I want you to do is to head towards something with purpose. And, uh, and she said, spoiler alert, uh, I have been suggesting that you might want to create a small high value, um, uh, uh, she didn't use quite these words, but a small high value consultancy doing the things that you love and not doing the things you don't love, like trying to be a software engineer or giving performance reviews to 30 people whose names you can't remember until the night before. And I said, oh, do you think anyone would want? And I, I cried when she said this. Um, and in fact, I cried a tear onto the waiter who was in a pub who was putting the food down. And I think he thought I spat on him, but I, it was a tear. If he's, I, I, it, was a, it was a horizontal tear of joy. I said, do you think anybody would want, would want this? Anyway, I resigned on the Monday and then spent the next 12 weeks building a proposition and you know, turning my previous employers into a foundational client, as so many people always do, only to move on after a, a while. Um, and that was eight years ago. God, it's, I mean, it's eight years ago that eight years ago, I only had about five weeks notice to go um, uh, and built something. And I kind of thought, well, what do I do and what can I bring? And it was around strategic planning, you know, the use of data help. It's kind of coalesced or, or, or it, the narrative has got stronger and simpler over the years, but I mean, you pin me against a wall at a cocktail party and, and, and say, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> what do you do? What, you know, that wouldn't be my recommendation for the first question. Um, my recommendation would be something like, you know, uh, what makes you shine or, or something else. Um, but I'm, I'm a data storyteller. You know, I, I help companies make smarter use, or not just companies. I mean, I've worked with government departments, charities, universities, but mostly business to business businesses, helping organizations make smarter use of data because there's a lot of it about. And just because I happen to have this, this sort of roller coaster career and roller coaster education, um, uh, educational history, I know how to do it. Um, and I've got some shortcuts and I can help them be more persuasive and clearer and simpler. And that's highly valued. Nobody has a line in their budget for it, let me tell you which is good because that means I don't, I'm not generally contesting business. But once I kind of, you know, ask questions of people and tell, you know, t 
tell me what your pain is, um, uh, your specific pain around how you use data, then we will develop ways of, of solving that pain. Um, and people like having pain removed. You know, it's it's um, it's it's a joy. Um, so that's the, the the pivotal point was an impossible job. Um, I was probably um, the wrong age, the wrong gender, the wrong expertise to have a. I wasn't a founder of a, a, a PR agency or a communications agency, um, uh, and I, I was I was increasingly finding it difficult to find businesses that thought that it was worth paying for the smarts, the, the consultancies. So I just made my own. Um, and that's eight years, nearly eight years ago. And this will have been the best year yet. So it's all right. Fantastic. And and again, you know, there there was such an incredible use of language in the articulation of, of sharing your journey there. And it really is, you can tell that you are a storyteller at heart and that it will come through in, in whatever you're sharing. It was interesting that of being turned into someone you're not and pushing against it, yet also you know, being pulled along that journey through someone else's. And there was excitement there. You could hear that there was excitement in that it was the biggest pitch that you'd ever gone for. So there was a, probably a bit of ego play there that was like, yes, I'm going to do this, even if it's not me, just because if you can achieve it, wow, what a what a fantastic job. Falling apart over six months, again, there's the fall, different type of fall this time. Your wife spotted something that you couldn't see. Was it there or could you not see it? Oh, it was definitely there. It was definitely, definitely there. Um, but I've never, ever for one, I mean, partly, the, I mean, I'm not blaming my dad. I love my dad dearly, dearly, dearly. But but the, um, but the, 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 there were two things. One was I couldn't read fiction from the age of 12 till he died at 21 because he was so well read. He used to say, uh, oh, you should read this. Haven't you read that? You should read this. And I would just feel so intimidated I could do it. But the, but the, the, the other was a, it was an accident of, of chronology and birth that um, I just didn't have this schema for work. Um, but I've never thought myself to be an entrepreneur. I mean, I don't think I'm an entrepreneur now. I run a I run a micro consultancy of three people, but but I don't wouldn't call myself an entrepreneur. I, when I've been on entrepreneur acceleration schemes, and I feel like a kind of kind of hoary, snaggletoothed um, uh, outsider because I'm not I, I'm not like everybody else. That doesn't mean I don't get I didn't get stuff out of it. But but I've never thought of myself as being um, an entrepreneur, and I didn't want to risk. I didn't want to take the risk, except, you know, the moment that, that in 2013 that I did take the plunge, because I'd gone back to school for four years uh, at the beginning of the 2000s, um, uh, at the time when property prices, apart from under the pandemic, were at their steepest incline, and I hadn't moved on that ladder, um, here I am saddled with, uh, you know, in a partnership, but here we are saddled with a, a, a big mortgage, um, and a young family, and I didn't. But actually, you know, you know, paradoxically, that was the moment at which, <laughs> at which there was this joy of of leaping and free falling and seeing what would stick. I mean, you know, by the end of the first week of having resigned, even though I wasn't doing any work, I had commitments for four and a half days a week for the first six months of 2014. So. There was a net. I, I I got a sense of confidence early that there was a network that was going to be helpful, 
and I'm a serial non-burner of bridges. Um, so I, and that's not just because I I want to have a nice time all of the time, but but I really, um, you know, never burn, burn, burn a bridge because who knows where they're going to move. And I don't mean that cynically. I mean. Um, it, it's it's fun to work with people again who you've liked working with, and um, uh, so this non-burning. This I think this serial. I'm also slightly a pathological connector in the in the Mike Malcolm Gladwell sense, tipping point Malcolm Gladwell sense. So I love I love putting people together. You know, putting a greengrocer and a photographer together that leads to a book that leads to a chain of a hundred restaurants. You know, that's that's nothing to do with me, and I don't get any payback. But but you know you've done that, and then suddenly something else happens. It's it's exciting to be a catalyst, um, and so I felt quite confident going into the year one with literally no savings. I mean, you know, no savings, big mortgage, family responsibilities. Um, but it was all right. Turned out all right in the end. Fabulous. Well, it's clear that it makes you shine. I can I can see how if somebody asked you a question at a dinner party you mentioned earlier, what do you do? And you answered, I'm a data storyteller, they might shut down. However, <laughs> if they asked the question, what makes you shine? And you said the same answer with an illustration, it would take it into a different space. I, I, I mean, it's a, it's not a dirty phrase at all, and indeed there are lots of people that there are lots of people that are coming out as, a, 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 or and it's not it's nothing to do with me. It's a it's a zeitgeisty thing, I guess. You know, there's data and there's story, and these things haven't been brought together. I, I mean, I do think that that with the first book, I really hit a nerve, um, uh, and there are lo- and still there are loads and loads and loads of people, consultants and training courses and books that are about data storytelling, but mostly they're about data visualization, almost entirely. They're about and there are loads of there are loads about storytelling. And a lot of them say, oh, they hold their nose at data. Well, I just happen to have this chaotic you know, set of degrees. Three, I am the three degrees. Um, uh, I have this chaotic set of degrees that allows me to do both. Um, but I quite like using the phrase because, you know, often people are scared or they don't want to or they have mass phobia or, or, or they don't want story polluted with, with, with data. But I, would, I, I use it as a, it's a you know, it's, it's, a, it's one of the, it's a beautiful fire and ice phrase. You know, the, the two worlds of analytics and storytelling should, you know, under, you know, what we understand of psychology and what the way that we're, we're, we're in particularly in the UK and the US, I guess. Um, but it, it more broadly, education forces us down to be one thing or another. Well, the world has moved on and actually we need to have, um, I think everybody in the, in the knowledge economy needs to be able if they if, if they don't crunch the data themselves they need to have access to support that enables them to make sense of data because there's a lot of it about and it can tell us really interesting things that allow us to focus in one way or another so yeah i agree that that phrase um uh, can be a turnoff but i don't tend to let it last very long being a turnoff no i love it so with the evolution, as you just said, about the knowledge economy, would you say we're in the knowledge age or would you say we're in a purpose age or neither? That's very interesting. Um, probably a bit of both. Let's, let's, try, let's, try, let's try and make a kind of hybrid chimera out of knowledge and purpose. Um, I think, so I think, so I, I've been, I, told, I, was, I was writing, I was writing um, all of last week. I managed to, to you know, to, 
my, my view about about my dear client's work is that they're like planes and we live quite near Gatwick so you want to make sure they're not all landing at the same time um, uh, and you need to kind of keep them in the air um, and uh, I managed to uh, carve out this time letting you know retained and project clients know that there would be no time and actually what, what's great is that when you've worked with people for uh, for a while uh, and you're in the, the book business and they actually they will often turn up there or case studies will turn up um, they're quite excited and, and they're prepared to indulge anyway um, so I was I, I was writing uh, and, and working uh, and uh, and thinking about lots of different things um, and so I've written the, the one book on data storytelling another book on insight which again is all around how you use data for insight and I was struggling for the third and, and there's a reason for my for my my saying this um I, I went on a webinar last year that was run by the financial times and mckinsey who run a business book of the year competition i hasten to say my books have never been long listed let alone shortlisted entered but never long or shortlisted uh, it's a rather special prize anyway the andrew hill who is a um, business correspondent on the financial times and a, a, there was a stellar cast of, of agents and, and authors and academics and they said, and so it was the beginning of the pandemic, or yeah, it was two months into the pandemic. And the question was, so what are books that are going to be um, um, submitted this time next year going to be about? And there was a lot about hybrid, um, and there was a lot about uh, remote, and uh, uh, and they said, uh, and the final question was, and what will then, what will the books not be about? And they said, all all of them said purpose, 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 purpose. No, we've had enough of that. We don't need purpose. Um, and I was toying at the time, and it wasn't sufficiently data involved. I mean, I, one of the things that I do working with collaborators, particularly who work in the internal communications space, and you'll see why in a second, one thing that I do quite often is to help companies to, to surface and articulate what their purpose might be. And I will do an in-depth analysis of the way they talk. So I'm quite a language nerd. I'll, I'll look at the, you know, the, the frequency of different types of words of the relative weight of verbs and adjectives and nouns for action and emotion and fact they're almost always dominated by nouns almost every business is just a tidal wave of nouns no emotion and very little action um, and so we'll do that we'll interview people and um, so i so i've got there's there's a there's a purpose product that i've got in my back pocket and i'm very proud to say that that um one uh, project that i ran uh, with a collaborator last year uh, has won five awards in the course of the, uh, this year, um, working with a business called Crown Worldwide, who are a big logistics, but they move people and, uh, and stuff around the world, fine wine and art and people and businesses and families. Anyway, we, 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 so, so I work in this space a bit, the purpose space. You know, I've been inspired by Cynic. You know, I've watched Start With Why a gazillion times and I use it as a workshop exercise. And, and you know, I love um, the, you know, the, the, the root cause analysis, the five whys that came from out of the founder of Toyota, um, uh, the why, why, why. You know, I, I, I very, very... And I, I was a bit sideswiped by this comment from the, this very esteemed panel. They were, you know, I really respect them because I, I, I'd started to sketch out um, some ideas for a book that was, it was going to be called um, uh, It's Not About Saving the Planet. It's much more important than that. And I, and, um, uh, and I think that one, I, I, I'm very interested in purpose i'm interested in what nike did with colin kaepernick i, I love 
what Dove has done with Real Beauty. They've had a few missteps, but generally they've done well. Um, I love PNG always um, like a girl. I love Sport England, this girl can. Stabilo, the highlight of Penn. Our friends, I'm sure you have plenty of these. Um, they, they ran a brilliant campaign called Highlight the Remarkable. And that campaign basically took black and white photographs of all of the men who had claimed that they'd taken um, a credit for something and then highlighted the women with use, literally highlighting the women um, uh, to show the hidden stories. You know, when Roosevelt had a stroke, uh, his wife ran the country. But, you know, that was airbrushed out of history and because the Americans couldn't have coped with that, with that knowledge at the time. Um, so I am very, very, you know, Patagonia and Ben and I've worked for Ben. ben I worked in Ben and before Ben and Jerry's was was bought by Unilever in 2000. For six years, I worked in a small PR company that was Ben and Jerry's office. I love what I love the stuff that they do. Um, I've, done, I've done a lot of work. But I do think that. Um, you know, there's good purpose and bad purpose uh, and there's greenwashing and there's purpose washing and there's you know it's fascinating to see what's happening in uh, the, the morning that we're talking is is it the first day of the cop um, 26 um, there's some really brilliant guerrilla advertising going on uh, in Glasgow amazing posters about the big petrochemical companies for you wouldn't be surprised but be, you stealing their iconography using their typefaces but actually telling a slightly different story so i do think that um i do think that 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 um, you know my rather poor joke that my book was going to be called it's not about saving the world it's much more important than that is it, it, i do think that purpose is really important and i do think that it's it's massively important that individually collectively as communities as society as companies you know these artificial constructs that that that, that surround our worlds um companies don't exist they're just they're just they're just there by agreement. i mean they may exist legally but they're just there by agreement countries don't exist look at you know the history the way the maps are, are redrawn the whole time um uh, but these, these constructs i think it's important that we do have um uh, a sense of purpose i i, I read a book this this is my wise wife saskia um this is her you know, proof that she she knew that I, I that, she, that she had said this before. Uh, in just before I went back to school, and this was quite a big turning point because I did a full time masters and doctorate um, uh, down here in Sussex in two thousand two thousand and four. Just before I went back, just before I made the decision, she gave me a book by a Norwegian philosopher whose name I have forgotten. Very thin, beautiful um, book called Work. And it basically talked about, um, it, it was the first real exposure 21 years ago, that I, 22 years ago, that I had had to this concept of purpose. Um, and it basically said that we can't do nothing, we have to do something. And those people that do something with purpose um, are those that get more satisfaction. So I, I think that business has sloppily, in some cases, leapt on the purpose bandwagon and led to purpose um, which has led to purpose washing and greenwashing. And, and, and when I say it's much more important than saving the planet, I mean that a business or an organisation or an individual doesn't necessarily need to have, and this is very lazy on my part, um, millennial-driven, um, we're going to save the planet, we're going to be Patagonia, we're going to be Ben and Jerry's. It doesn't need to have that. No, Harley-Davidson, the purpose of Harley-Davidson uh, uh, is to unleash the easy rider in every 48-year-old accountant. Well, that's 
amazing that it can do that. Um, uh, uh, I mean, I don't think they ever express it quite like that, but that's why they're in business. Um, so I think purpose is important. But I think you said, are we in knowledge? I mean, I think I think all sorts of organisations, businesses, universities, charities, governments, there is data out there that many of them are ignoring. Um, I do think it is a knowledge economy. I always think it's slightly ironic. This is not a political point. I always think it's slightly ironic that um, the Brexit deal does has nothing to do with um, the knowledge economy. It's just to do with trade and manufacture. And that's 20% of the economy. 80% of the British economy is the, is a service industry, is finance, is communications, is what is what we do. So um, I do think we're we're in probably we're in a knowledge age, although purpose is making more noise, perhaps. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree in in pretty much everything you said. It was interesting because when you were talking about being a language nerd, and you were identifying where people have little emotion versus no emotion versus little action. Mm. And then going back to the Financial Times McKinsey saying that they'd had enough of purpose, that that was not what we wanted to see anymore. And was that linked to lack of emotion or lack of action? I think it was probably to do a bit more with the with the, not necessarily the greenwashing, but but it, it, it got trendy. It got trendy in particular in Adland. Um, and senior marketeers were whispered in the ear by big um, uh, ad agencies. I mean, I, 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 the, the, one of the things I think is really, really important about. I'm not encouraging companies to trowel on the, the, you know, the, the adjectives. I'm not saying you know you need to trip over yourselves. But when you strip out just adjectives, verbs, and nouns, almost businesses almost never use adjectives. And just upping them just a little bit, just a little, you know, the usual ratio is 70% nouns, facts, data, statistics, 20% verbs, action, 10% adjectives. That's the, u- that's what, I, I don't have a database of normative data, but I've done it 70 times. So, and that's what it typically falls into. The Princeton psychologist, Daniel Kahneman, Mr. Thinking Fast and Slow, I heard him interviewed by the comedian David Baddiel about 10 years ago, just after the book came out. Uh, who, uh, and it's a, it's a difficult read. I'm, if you've read I'm sure, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, well, Kahneman did admit in Methodist Central Hall in, in, in Victoria, he said, I wish I'd had a better editor because it was, because it, it's about, but the work that he's done on, um, uh, on these biases we have, uh, over the years with his long-term collab- collaborator, Amos Tversky, for which he won the Nobel Prize for Economics. You know, he's a psychologist, but won the Nobel Prize for Economics uh, and he's the father of behavioral economics. Um, he, the work that he's done on how we make decisions, you know, that we make our decisions emotionally and uh, using the intuitive reptilian uh, limbic brain that we share with reptiles and birds and all other mammals, and you know we that's that's where and how we make our decisions in a quick and dirty way using this fast old bit of the brain that has no access to language no access to data no access to facts um, but we make our decisions emotionally we then these brilliant you know with our fantastic the biggest most impressive supercomputer in the world between our ears we then use our gray and white matter our frontal lobes in particular our cortices to justify the decisions. Um, but we think, we think in a completely different way. We think we are um, homo, homo economicus who, who's a, who rationalizes and decides and decides this is what I'm going to do because. 
uh-uh, that's not how we make decisions. And if company, when companies realize that, and not just companies, when organizations realize that, and then they think about how they talk, and how they, when they think about how they could talk simpler, clearer, and with more emotion and humanity and empathy for those they're looking to influence, then they change the way they talk. And if they change the way they talk, you know, there's very little time um, available for uh, people, whether they're, whether they're consumers or business-to-business customers, very little time for them to, to invest in finding out. And if you blather on about how clever or smart or brilliant or all this data that shows how clever you are, you're going to put them off and they'll just find your rival who don't do that and you will shrink and they will grow. So going back to that comment over your in your pub where you were weeping on your waiter's hands, <laughs> where your your wonderful wise wife Saskia said you can't carry on like this and you need to do something that is heading towards something with purpose. Yep. How does that feel now that you're doing that? Marvelous, fantastic. Um, uh, uh, I mean, just great. Just uh, it just feels fabulous. Um, uh, it, it's it. It's partly, you know, I, I used to think because I started to have a lot more fun. I wasn't fundamentally doing very, very different things. I wasn't, I wasn't running mad software teams all over the world. That's that's, I've not pursued that. That's that's something I've not pursued. But but I, because I because I started to have a lot of fun, um, I thought, oh, it's because I'm self determining. It's because I've not got a boss. I've got lots of bosses, you know, they're, they're my clients or my collaborators or, or, or I've got plenty of bosses. Um, uh, but it's not about, it's part, I, I thought it was all about the freedom um, and the independence and the self-direction. And it's partly that, you know, I've got a, on my wall, I've got, I've got, a, I've got a, a, a set of things for what I'm thinking about doing next year. Um, and the, uh, two or three of those involve involve partners. If I was working in an agency, or even if I was running an agency that was my own, uh, or that was owned by somebody else, or whatever, there would be, you know, what percentage of your time is billable? Um, there would be, you know, billability ratios. Now, I, I've done that. Um, I don't. Well, I don't have that now. I, mean, I run a tight ship, and I want to use time wisely. But you know, I carved a week out last week to go and write. Some a bit of a book, and I'll carry on doing that until it's done. Uh, by the end of January, publishers it'll be on time. Um, uh, but um, but but the freedom to be able to say I'm going to invest some time, Amy. Why don't we create a a, a purpose product together? Um, or you know, you meet somebody and and there's lots of opportunities. But the ability to look up, uh, it's the I, I was always I was always struck by a, a, a great. Um, and, and, and very challenging French client I had. He worked at Unilever. He's he's, he's really a mountaineer, but he always he, and, 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 and I mentioned he's a mountaineer. I mean, he is a mountaineer. Um, uh, that's what he does for fun. But he said, "You English," he said, "when you walk along." He said, "For example, I was walking down Regent Street the other day, and you've got this amazing architecture, and all that the English do is look down." He said, "Now in the age of the smartphone, you just look down at your smart." He said. It's not just an English disease, but it, it, he, he characterized it. And because he's a mountaineer looking to the summit, he's always looking up. Right? Um, uh, and, and so I thought it was a good challenge. And I have found, one, the act of, of, of being self-determining, but two, following something with purpose means that um, I can look up. 
Uh, I, not always look up. You've got to get your head down sometimes. But I can look up. And if an interesting opportunity comes along, you can invest some time and some energy. And it might be, you know, energy, time, energy at the weekend or the evenings or whatever, but you can invest some time and energy. And most of these things don't come off. Next to the, next to my post-it note that has three possible collaborators for next year for doing something new, I've also got a sort of memento mori, which is the list of about 150, not on the wall, but uh, partnerships that never came off. Just, just you know, just just as a, as a, as, a, as a remembrance that these things rarely bear fruit. But boy, when they do, you know, like this, like this, this um, purpose thing, purpose campaign I was telling you about. Um, that's one load of awards you know that's great it's a great shop window and then other people want to do the same and and so yeah uh I, yeah looking looking up rather than looking at either your phone or, or your feet i think yeah i love that and I, I love that you've you've shared with us three authors we had simon sinek you've had daniel kahneman and the author of work who i think might be svensson yes that's right okay there we go so we've got those three Looking at the the collection of the of your inspirations, and I'm sure there have been many, many more in the areas of purpose. But, but what is it that holds your focus now? What is it that sort of holds all of those strands together? You've got the psychology theme, you've got the the sort of the business theme of what it is that you're doing. But what I guess is what is it that you are shining with? What is it that you're just want to leave as a legacy or live through the legacy as well? Um, I got a little shiver then, not not because I, I thought there was anything important, but it's a that's such an that's such an excellent question. Um, uh, so I often meet because I'm you know because I'm because um, I hung around for a while um, and I leapt maybe a bit earlier than some of my friends or clients. Um, I often get people say, saying, "Oh, could you would you could we have a conversation or or would you would you mind talking to to so and so because they're they're looking to." They're, they don't know whether they should take another corporate job, their last corporate job or their penultimate, or should they go it alone? Um, and I'll have a conversation. I'll just say, you know, where, you know, kind of where, where do you shine? What can you bring? And, and often, more often than not, they will say, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. I'm a great innovator. I'm a fantastic leader. I, I, and, and I will sort of pause and I'll say, yeah, but what what's what, what's the one thing that that or or well, I'll limit them to three to begin with, and they'll probably give me five. Or let's whittle it down. Um, so there's lots and lots and lots of things that that lots and lots of people can do, and there's lots and lots of things that I can do. So I don't talk about the at the moment the purpose product. It's not codified. It works, but it's not codified. I don't talk about it on website. I don't really blog or or podcast about it very much, and it's not because I'm. Uh, embarrassed about it far from it you know I shout about winning awards for it for sure show off about that no problem at all um uh, but um I think it's very important to stay focused that's so I'll give you that that principle um uh, and I as I said right at the beginning like to make sense of 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 things um I've, one of the bits I wrote in the introduction to this new book is I've written my three books in the wrong order entirely the wrong order because so the one the, the thing that the thing that that seems to resonate um is when i say to come to prospects or clients or collaborators um or podcast interviewers um uh i help companies make or organizations 
particularly companies, make smarter use of data. You know, there's a lot of it around, it's confusing, smog, information overload, big data, ah, pain. So I help them make smarter use of data, and I do that in three ways. I do that in helping them to ask better questions of the data, and I mean that quite technically sometimes, but ask better, smarter questions um, uh, so that they can get the data they need to surface and then articulate the insights into their customers or, or electorate or I don't do much political work, but into, into those things. So, so ask the questions to get the insights to tell the stories that balance in a human and an empathetic way, um, the rational with the emotional, more correctly, the emotional with the rational. So, um, and I wrote, and I wrote the books in the wrong order, but you know, history won't remember that, will it? Um, uh, it, it, it doesn't really matter. They're, 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 they're all, uh, they're all important. Um, but no, I, I think I say it's a singular focus, and I've, I've given you three. But it's all about where are you on your journey with with data? And I, I, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a digital transformation type of guy, and that's not what I do. Um, it, it, it's 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 focused. It, its end point is the stories they tell that can be clearer and more persuasive and less friction and you know avoiding this 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 thing the curse of knowledge and and getting more you know getting more symmetry in in information between people who've got something to say or sell and people who've got something to hear or buy getting more symmetry in that and i think that that i mean you know this this curse of knowledge steve pinker the harvard psychologist um wrote this lovely book he's written lots of quite difficult or challenging, but they're all lovely books, but a book called The Sense of Style. And he really focuses um, on, in the third chapter of that book, on this curse of knowledge, which is, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the difficulty that there is um, for anybody, particularly when you're in a technical area, but the difficulty in understanding what it's like not to know something that you know. Because of hindsight bias, because you know it already, um, it's difficult to to stop that, it's, uh, and when, particularly when it's technical and data led. It's you know, people want to show their workings out; they want to prove that they've actually done the work. But that's not what the audience generally wants to hear. You can, you know, you can say we looked at this data set and this is what we found. No, this is what it means. So what? This is what we should do as a, as a result. Now what? That's that's great. People who are interested will say. Tell me more. I, that's nothing like the data I've seen. Tell me more. And that allows you then to say, okay, well, I'll show you the data that led me to that. But if you take them through the processes that you've done, um, I, mean, I work with the market research industry a lot. Um, and they are some of the, my favorite clients for two reasons, because they are the most guilty of it's not death by, it's genocide by PowerPoint, um, slides one to 162. Um, so they're guilty of taking you through every single thing they've ever, every cross-tabulation they've ever done and every men do this, but women do that. And uh, uh, and then, yeah, but has anything changed? Is anything different? What's the story? Um, and But they're also, I love them also because they are among the quickest to learn the error of their ways and to and to know that, that there's you can have an appendix for a reason. Google, Google has this rule when you're giving um, feedback on research, you're allowed three slides. Um, uh, you're allowed no smaller than 30 point uh, on your on your slides. You are allowed one fact, one data point per slide, 
and you're allowed no more than three bullet points on the slide. They'd much rather have a picture, or but 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 that's the rule, and that really forces people to to think what matters, uh, and you can give hints to what matters because, but it, it's mostly you know mostly, and, and you've you've said lovely things about and thank you um, about this first book narrated by numbers mostly that is a book about humanity and empathy uh, and understanding what it's like to be receiving the story that you're telling because if you don't do that you are you're you know you're gonna you're gonna turn people off and turn them away and I don't think people want to do that they just do it because they think that they should well, I don't think you've turned anyone away, and I'm sure that people want to get in contact with you, Sam. So what's the best way that they can? Uh, the best way, I would say, probably, and I'm very transparent and very easily findable, but I would say the best way is probably LinkedIn, um, where I am Sam Knowles Data Story. That's me. Um, but there aren't many Sam Knowles Data Stories on there. And then there's, but there's all, all, all of the contact details uh, are available there. That would be the easiest place. I mean, where the work is done is at insightagents.co.uk. Perfect. Well, they'll both go in the show notes. Sam, I've been taken on a journey today. I have definitely fallen in love with data storytelling, and I am really looking forward to reading your third book and going back and reading the Insights book as well, because I haven't picked up on that one yet. So I'm really looking forward to that. But yeah, I mean, you've taken us on a journey of of, hum of humanity, of empathy, of, of clearly of purpose, but also of bringing together how we are surrounded by data and how to sort of filter that data into understanding and processing it into something that's relevant to each of us. I think it's, we, as, as we be exposed to so much knowledge nowadays, it, it is that what do we take for granted? What do we have as bias or what we hold as bias? It's, it's really interesting, but yeah, I will definitely be looking up more for sure. So thank you. Great pleasure. So do you have some final words for the audience, please, Sam? Uh, my, I mean, I, I don't know if it's advice or, or um, uh, I don't know what it is, but I mean, I, I think really focus on the thing that you do brilliantly, um, uh, strip out um, as much of the data as you can. I'm not anti-data, don't get me wrong, I'm not anti, but, but, but in your elevator pitch, in your, um, in your uh, cocktail party pitch, it doesn't matter what it is, um, uh, 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 focus on uh, the way that what you do brilliantly can um, take away the pain of uh, uh, if you're selling something, if you're, but can take away the pain uh, of those that you're talking to. But that relentless focus on what you do brilliantly and not giving a laundry list of all the things you could do if you were forced into a corner. Thank you for listening to Focus on Why with me, Amy Rowlandson. To show your appreciation and to help other listeners understand what value you have received from tuning in today, please leave me an Apple Podcasts five-star review. Remember, the conversation doesn't end here. To keep it going, connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter, or join the inspiring, uplifting and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. All the links are in the show notes. Have a purpose, have a plan, Focus on Why.